Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to TechMakers, a Ubisoft podcast. I am your host for this five-part series. My name is David Usher, and I'm the founder of Reimagine AI, also a musician. And I'd like to start with a confession. I've never hosted before. But I was asked by my friends at Ubisoft to host, so I thought I would jump in with both feet. So today we're going to talk about the beginning of The Forge, where it started, where it's come, and all of the things that they've made in between, all of the partnerships, all of the amazing technology that's been created here. So today to join me, I have Eve, Olivier, and Cedric, who are actually, it's really your podcast because you're from Ubisoft and LaForge. So could you each introduce yourselves and tell us about yourselves and what you do at LaForge and Ubisoft? My name is uh, Cedric Dessel. I'm the vice president of technology for the Montreal studio in Montreal. So I'm basically working with uh, game projects and technical teams like LaForge. And I've been uh, working with LaForge since the very beginning. So I'm super happy to be here today to talk about the inception of all of this. And my name is uh, Olivier Pomares. I've been uh, starting uh, LaForge in 2016. I'm director of development uh, those days of uh, LaForge. And my responsibilities are about the operations in LaForge. And uh, I'm uh, Yves Jacquier, and I'm executive director of uh, LaForge and also musician, I must admit. And uh, I'm very also happy to be here and to see... Uh, you know, the, the path of innovation uh, that we went through uh, for the last five years here in Montreal and now expanding uh, worldwide. Fantastic. So I'd like to start at the very beginning, at the inception. Where did the very first idea, the spark of the forge, come from? It came uh, from mistakes, which I should say, and, and failures. We learned to work with uh, universities and we learned what worked well, what did not work well. And what we discovered through the process was 10 years ago was that we tend to have high-level objectives. We tend to have the same words uh, than researchers, but does not necessarily, necessarily mean the same thing. We do not have the same day-to-day -day objectives. Um, so we had this uh, academic chair with Joshua Benjo uh, 10 years ago. And that's how we learned that building those concrete steps together are as important as defining the high-level research objective. Thus came the idea of LaForge. And we tried hard to make sure that it would be a tool that's useful for both Ubisoft to drive our innovation and see differently, uh, some issues with fresh perspective, but also for academics, so that they would have access to many different things they wouldn't have access in their uh, labs. How, how is the, like, from the, from the inception, how did it become to come into being a reality, a real, a real place with a real mission, a solidified mission? We started with, with this concept of being concrete, actually. I, I, I remember that we used to draw 
those triangles showing that here's where the problem is with the prototypes and that's really the gap of wasted ideas and that's where we should focus. Uh, so then I contacted Olivier uh, there who was working in another company at that time um, who, and asked him if he wanted to come by and, and, uh, and start these crazy things. And so we started, we were two. I think we had lunch at the Indian restaurant on saint Laurent. So this is where it started. Yeah, with a napkin. And uh, once again, Eve was drawing again those triangles. Must have been like the thousandth time he was already trying to, to, to frame the problem. Really, the idea is to connect the two worlds. And this is really what we, this is what those triangles that the uh, listener won't necessarily see it. But it's really finding a ways to connect two different worlds. And this is where it started. Uh, in this restaurant where where Eve convinced me to revisit my own career and revisit my own uh, challenge day-to-day challenges to actually support the creation of La Forge and start it. And when we started, I think we were two. We were two, yeah. <laughs> two in a large room, <laughs> two, two, two towers, some screens, and... And there you go, and the, t- and the two triangles, of course, of course. <laughs> because without saying. So let's talk about those triangles a little bit. Can you give me a description of how that really was the impetus, but how it relates to what LaForge is? Okay, so basically, if you think about innovation like a, a path that starts with uh, theoretical R&D, publications, creating knowledge, up to having a product in the hands of users, um, within this path, if you take uh, the academic world, they're putting a lot of love on, on the uh, ac- theoretical side uh, of things. Uh, a good researcher is someone who's known for the quality and quantity of his or her publications, basically. And when it comes to creating a product, this love fades somehow. Conversely, at Ubisoft, like uh, Cédric was mentioning, uh, we, we are always as good as our latest products. And that's uh, how we deal with um, innovation. We tend to capitalize on our engines and build on our brands and, and, uh, and technologies. Uh, so when we need to ship a game, we don't have time to, uh, to be that curious of what's happening outside. So really those triangles uh, are really the, trying to, to create a, a dedicated space of love, a common love, to bridge... Uh, the interest of the academic world, which is creating public knowledge with Ubisoft. And uh, for us, it's really important to have this interdisciplinary space with people who are not working in silos, uh, not working within disciplines, but trying to work together on solving a problem, whether it's on characters, uh, whether it's on behaviors or environments, for example. Maybe if I could add something for the academic people who would be listening. Yes, we are publishing. <laughs> <laughs> it's also for me, it's, there's also the, the notion of from hypothesis to something being applied. You know, uh, it starts as R&D and we're mi- making hypotheses. We're trying, we're failing, we're succeeding. But at some point, that becomes a new standard on production. So we're evolving a bit our craft via being able to do that and, and making some... Uh, and that's probably the, the, the one thing uh, I'm the most proud about is when we started, and you mentioned that, Cédric, when we started La Forge in more than five years ago, uh, many people did not believe uh, into that, into what we're doing. People thought that 
the, the worlds were too apart to create something concrete and of value. And what makes me really proud is that this idea was not uh, only shared within Ubisoft, it was shared outside of Ubisoft. And we were the first at Ubisoft to dare to do that. And Ubisoft supported us uh, into doing that. And today it's become a standard uh, within our competitors also. So uh, having proved that it was possible and having the possibility to make that a standard, a new standard within the industry is, is something really, uh, really cool. I mean, that, that's an interesting thing, the idea that, that um, in enterprise and in university, the objectives are different, the timelines are different. You know, those, those are, you know, they have different things that they need and want out of what they're trying to build. And you have, you know, from coming from the business world and the enterprise world, you know, it's often about deadlines and projects and, and outcome. When you, were, when you were talking about those triangles, how did you decide, how did you think about merging those worlds? Well, the idea here in terms of operation is to make sure that, first of all, we agree on the definition of the problem you're looking for. And this is already something that is very hard because the problem from the academic point of view or from the production lines are going to be different or perceived differently. Um, so first of all, we must agree. Um, we must also work on, the, on trying to make sure that this problem is also relevant for many different productions. This is something that we have been pushing quite a lot in terms of operation because then it means the problem we are working on or we are going to work on is actually of value for many people. So it becomes very interesting to resolve it. And then the second part is to also define how we're going to measure that we are actually solving the problem. And this is where we define a prototype. And this prototype is also a large part of our operations, making sure that we have a clear understanding from the production and from the academic folk that the content of the prototype speaks to each parties in meaningful and measurable ways. So this is how we are trying to bridge those two worlds by defining correctly those two aspects of doing the research. Interesting. And how were you brought into the project? I, hearing them, them talk about it, uh, it's funny because um, back then I was in, uh, on game teams, right, working on, working on a game. And it really felt like a crazy idea back then at the beginning, right? It's something new. It's a new angle. It's a, so you're working on a game. You're really focusing on, on, on what you have to deliver and everything. And, and you, you hear uh, crazy people talk about let's bring in academia and let's 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 try these things and and it felt a lot like a uh, like something that would not uh, bear any fruits right <laughs> so so it's easy now and it's fun after uh, x number of years to talk about it and and think back uh, at at this uh, period of time uh, but bridging those two uh, triangle is uh, is really really tough. We didn't believe at all in it uh, on production floor at the beginning. Uh, now it's trending quite well. There's still challenges, but uh, we've came a, a long way. So uh, I think the Lafarge team has been uh, incredible in, in in building that relationship with production and with scientists, and you know building the trust and and trying to establish this this connection. I mean that's an interesting that's an interesting point. It's how you how you pick the projects, how you fund the projects, how you dis define the scope of the projects. Like what is what is the beginning, what is the end? How how does that process happen? How choosing who to work with, how to work. There is an opportunistic uh, uh, approach to it, first of all. Um, 
in a sense that we want to make sure that we are sizing the right problem at the right time. When you speak to people who are very busy shipping a game, whose mind and energy is 100% focused on delivering a product for the players, uh, it's not always easy to hear about innovation, you know, like uh, you're in the middle of creating your games and oh, what those guys, are? What, what do they want? Like, uh, I, I don't care, I just want to ship my game. <laughs> and it's very, very truly, I mean, I've been there myself and I understand what it is about. Uh, so there is an opportunistic uh, moment, a timing to, 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 to gather around. And the timing is uh, a part of networking with the right people, part of also of the uh, timing and the agenda of the productions. Um, depending where they are in their own uh, process of creating a game, there are windows where it's more, yeah, it's easier to actually uh, uh, get, get, get their ears to actually discuss about the, the, the problems they have. Um, so there is, there is that part um, that is very important to, 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 to start a proper project at the right time. Are you guys always focused on, do you come from it at a place where you look at the research and then you're thinking of a problem that you need to solve? Or would be helpful. That has happened, and more specifically for uh, subjects that are difficult to to discuss without having like already a prototype, something that can work that you can show to production people, uh, not just a PowerPoint or uh, a PDF or or an email with a couple of paragraphs into it. Something that can show, yeah, and and this is a proof that we can maybe do this thing. Um, so we do that. We do that also. And for academics out there listening. What is the process that they go through to bring their ideas to LaForge? It's it's the same. Uh, I would say that the process is more or less the same for everybody who wants to pitch an idea. We have a we have defined in the early days of uh, LaForge a self filtering uh, process where people have to go through seven questions, which are basic questions like, "Do your homework." Uh, why is it research? Um, in, in what sense will it make greater games? And etc. And if you're able to go through those seven questions, the idea is that Ubisoft, as Ubisoft, we would be stupid not to give you the the proper way to push your innovation or to try things, because you've proven that you're focused. You've proven that you do, did your homework in terms of trying to see what's outside and what's you know the the benchmark outside and that you are focused on a prototype that will show and uh, prove your point so day one that's what we are we created just to make sure that everybody could go through this process whether they are from la forge from production or from academia it would be the same process same same uh, self-filtering process uh, and obviously we are here to help people to go through this process and help them to find the proper information and help them to build their uh, their proposition. What is the process like? So you, you you've onboarded somebody. You've onboarded this this amazing new researcher with an incredible idea. You know you've, they've gone through their seven questions. What is the process like from beginning to end for them and for you? Like how does the interchange work between ideas and product and actually building something? First of all. So starting from the, the point where you have actually found, uh, make a proposition that is virtuous and that we should push, uh, then the day-to-day -day operation from a, from a researcher point of view is you will work with some collaborators from production. You will work on the data of the production within the engines, if necessary, of the production so that we, you have access to everything. Um, and on the, pacing, on the pacing of the project, what we try to, to enforce is no more than three months are going to elapse 
before you can, you have to actually provide an update, an update to either what we call the tech endorsers or collaborators that are interested in resolving that problem. And what we are trying to make sure during the journey of doing a research is that there is a clear communication channels, regular updates, uh, and with all the nuances as possible. We are not selling the prototypes. We are pushing for the solution to the problem through the prototypes. How long is the overall process? like? I had initiative lasting two years before we actually managed to get a beautiful paper. Uh, and that happens. Uh, and sometimes in, in a couple of weeks, someone found like the shortcut. It has happened. Yeah. And then suddenly, poof, you got a prototype and it's like, cool, it works. And, and the interesting part in that is also that, let's say, you start, you have those interesting ideas. So you, you refine your idea through discussions with people from La Forge, with people from production, and then you're ready for what we call the kickoff meeting. And basically, the kickoff meeting is a meeting where you have everybody here and you go through the seven questions. Basically, you explain that to everybody. Um, and I'm not part of the preparation. So to me, the kickoff meeting is a genuine surprise in the sense that I want to come there with um, uh, fresh eyes Interesting. and, and uh, provide feedback. And uh, then the kickoff meeting in itself is about one hour-ish, something like that. And if everything goes well, we start the project right away. And because we're trying to have those three-month regular updates, the idea is that we're always able to change direction uh, should we need it. So if there's something that smells good after three months and that's already usable by production, the production can already use that not to do everything but can start to incorporate that into their own uh, pipelines. Mm. Conversely, uh, simply giving the this update for uh, every three months, sometimes, uh, like Olivier was saying, it takes two years before we have something that's really uh, usable. But by doing those regular updates with production and being influenced by the production uh, is also a good way to make sure that we, we keep the right direction. The, the two years, uh, that, that's what I find interesting with, with La Forge actually, is having people, being able to put smart people on a problem that we wouldn't be able to look at in production ever, right? You can never take someone and say, okay, on this game, you're going to take two years to work on this thing that might not result in anything you know it's a scientific process so i have an hypothesis i try and and everything and knowing that we have people that we have brains working on that stuff and being able to to focus on that is is the the big big plus value for 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 me because afterwards it's it's uh, easier for for um, production teams and, and game teams to to look at what's been done and and la force is really good at giving visibility to the entire uh, studio and, and, and Ubisoft group uh, of the results and, and everything. So it's easy to get inspired from that. You can be a creative director, a game director, look at what's been done and maybe it's going to spark an idea and, and then you, you move on, you know. That's super interesting. Is the work being uh, being done by the researcher and uh, Ubisoft personnel together? So it's a, a, or is it the researchers alone? How does it, how, do the, how does that manifest? No, it's most of the time, if not all the time, we want to mix the two worlds, and we are doing that also when we are working on prototypes. Cool. 
this is very important. And this is where, like, you have sparkles, actually. This is where the two worlds are going to, to not be frictionless. Collide. Right. But this, this is where the collision is actually happening, and this is where you have innovation. But that's also interesting because when we are providing the, the, the extra effort we are making to make sure that what we are doing in La Forge is actually accessible from the outside, it's also a good way for us to organize what I call a positive feedback loop because then you have people that are going to bring new limitation that that your prototype is showing that is new source of research or new opportunities what we call low hanging fruits as Eve was mentioning which is like hey this prototype is actually uh, useful to resolve a problem that was absolutely not discussed beforehand <laughs> and that has happened quite often that we found a way to use a prototype that was absolutely not what we had anticipated at the beginning um, so this is also this kind of feedback loop is very important. Well, you have two groups with really really different uh, prism. Mm. They, they see the li life and they look at the problem very very differently. So it's uh, it's super interesting to see uh, uh, when when it collides, what new ideas will pop pop out of it because it's it's the idea and, and 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 the great benefit is changing a bit that prism for everybody. So people in production that witness something and suddenly it becomes possible. It was an impossibility, so then suddenly it's something possible. So all the academics out there want to know, how's IP split? <laughs> Let's get to the nitty gritty, IP. I let Eve do that. <laughs> Come on, the dirt. No, it's uh, actually, uh, we, we want to be as open as we want. The, the promise that we make to researchers is that when they come at La Forge, they have access to exactly everything uh, like our employees do. So in order to achieve that, we want to make sure that we don't have the competitor in the room, basically. Right. Um, so what we uh, generally do with uh, university is that we, we say that we have exclusivity for the video game industry, and then can, they can do whatever they want outside of the video game industry. Oh, so that's, we feel that it's a fair collaboration um, and when we work on topics, think about text-to-speech, for example, um, can be easy to find applications that are outside of the video game industry and still very fruitful. Should someone want to create a startup or, or you know, whatever, make money out of that. Um, conversely, it makes sure that when we provide our expertise, our data, our technologies, our time, and etc., still we keep this competitive advantage compared to our competitors. Right. You lock down the vertical. That's, that's smart. I like it. So let's go over, because innovation takes success and failure. Can we talk about some success, some failure? What have been some of the big successes so far that you've seen that have you know, really, really become something special? Well, uh, I would like to start with something that happened like in uh, 2018 or something like that. Um, I think I'm going to mention the sound matching as a as one of the uh, of a cool initiative that that went through La Forge and that was quite a success um, in a sense that uh, we so, so, first of all let me just explain a bit what is sound matching. So sound matching is a is a, is a clever system where you actually take as an input uh, a dialogue lines. And then you are going to process the dialogue lines through this process, and you are going to output information that will allow an animator to animate the, the lips. So 
this is very uh, very convenient because then you have all the information and whatever the lines that is being produced and you are going to be able to animate a character head uh, speaking correctly um, and this process was done manually for all the languages uh, for English for Spanish for Brazilian for uh, Portuguese and so on and so on um, and by introducing this new technique from La Forge we actually managed to yeah, to make the life of the localization folk way, way, way easier. <laughs> because the content of our games is very heavy in terms of narration. Yes. So that you have a lot of dialogues, but it means also you have a lot of process behind to make sure that the dialogues are uh, compatible in any language. If you speak in German, for instance, sentences are going to be longer than the animation of your, of your lips, for instance. This is something what you can see sometimes in all movies when they are dubbed in other languages. They're, the guys are, are already finished his, his, his lips animation, but <laughs> the dialogues continues. Uh, and this is something that we do care uh, when you're working on the localization. And this kind of process actually impacted in a meaningful way their work. It disrupted completely how they are working with, with that problem and helped them ultimately uh, meet the challenge of uh, uh, the, the content of our games that is going uh, larger by the years. Um, so this is one of the, the, the first success, I would say, from, uh, from La Forge's point of view. Failure. What failure should we share? We have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> give us, a, give us a good one. We we don't have very much time left, so give us a good one. <laughs> photogrammetry. <laughs> ah, yes, photogrammetry. Ah, this one is uh, is, is is quite one. When we're doing uh, research, it it happens that you will find something that works, but maybe, and this is something that we learn. Maybe once you find the solution, the need is not there anymore. <laughs> So if you have a fancy prototype that works, that did the job that it was supposed to do, it take, took a certain amount of time, but the need that was expressed at the beginning vanished. So you have a working prototype that serves no purpose. Um, this is one. But we learned that. We know that we, we, we can resume so some of the work, and we actually did some low-hanging fruits through that 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 initiative. That's one. Um, sometimes the problem we are taking also are the hypotheses were wrong, um, uh, or situation happened that you cannot actually uh, push it further. For instance, we are working a lot on biometry, for instance, and we are trying to incorporate EEGs to actually get a better sense about what's happening uh, when you're playing the game. It is something that is being quite quite used in the video game industry and in other industries as well. Um, but EEGs are too complex. They are very difficult signal to make sense of and to make sure that you have a very high uh, very high uh, quality in terms of the, the signal themselves, the signal to, 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 to noise uh, uh, ratio. Um, and it's it doesn't. We cannot go along with that kind of hypothesis for the moment. We need to wait a little bit. Well, if you're, you know, if you're innovating, sometimes you're going to get failure. That's the nature of it. You have to feel like that's. If you're not getting any failure, you're probably not pushing hard enough on the envelope. Exactly. And that's why when when we have uh, newcomers at at La Forge, that's exactly what we tell them. The only failure that you can have at La Forge is when your prototype doesn't work, and you can't explain why. That's really. The real failure because all of that uh, what we learned with biometric for example we learned that today in terms of state of the art it's not possible to have high level EEG tell you something about the overall experience of a player it simply does not work so we learned that um, and now we're trying to focus on another approach on, on biometric but that would have been possible to go through 
that process because it's very, there are very few publications in terms of biometrics when you when you want to you know, accept on some very uh, slices that you know if you want to see colors or things like that that are very well documented in labs but when you ha- want to have a player playing casually on whatever and you want to see if the player leaves some frustration understand the mechanics and etc the signals are way too noisy right so you can't get any real information from it that correlates anything in the real world. That was part of our hypothesis when we started the project <laughs> that we would be able to do so, by the way. Right. And we actually bought some hardware to do that and to, 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 to try to go th- and prove the hypothesis true. But the hypothesis was not true. And that happens. Guys, we only have a, a couple minutes left. Can you give me, in a nutshell, the, the, what, what you see as the future of LaForge? Where are you going next? What's the big, where, where is the future leading you? Wow. The big question is last. We have two minutes. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that we, we still have a lot to learn. Uh, for us, the next step is really to learn how to work with different countries, different labs. Um, I, I really want us to expand but keep our DNA. Uh, we want to be uh, agile and be able to uh, very quickly try and, and learn and fail sometime. How do we keep this DNA while... Um, leveraging uh, the, the power of our, our network now, a uh, network of different cells in China, France, uh, other countries to be uh, announced uh, soon. So for me, that's really the challenge. thing is that when you hear what's cooking, when people talk about metaverse and all of that, I really feel, in, and I know, uh, uh, David, that... You, you're also working on all those topics. And, and I really like the fact that you're bridging your artistic hats with your technical hats. That's why I wanted to have you here. <laughs> uh, when, if you want to create interesting content and metaverse, think about this analogy. Um, in 1995, there were about 31,000 pages in terms of websites. Today, it's tens of billions. What I've changed is that in 2003, uh, companies uh, like WordPress uh, or in 2006, Shopify created tools that empowered people to create their own content. So what I feel is that our industry is at the edge of allowing that. And I really see Laforge being able to push the boundaries to empower our game creators, whether they are from Ubisoft or outside of Ubisoft, to create this content. Thank you very much, guys. That's all the time we have today, and uh, I'll see you all around the neighborhood. <laughs> Thanks you, David. Thank, Thank you, you, guys. So thanks for listening to TechMakers, a Ubisoft podcast. I'm your host, David Usher. And next time, we will be going into forging the future and talking all about characters. See you next time. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. 
all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.